Welcome to another episode of the Chef Educator Today, the show that provides and discusses various teaching tools, tips, and techniques for the culinary, hospitality, and pastry arts educator. And now, coming to you through the airways from Palm Beach County, Florida, here's your host, doctor, professor, and chef, Mr. Colin Roche. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Chef Educator Podcast. My name is Dr. Colin Roach, and I'm your host. Today's episode is titled Instructional Continuity, a timely topic considering what is going on in our world today with the coronavirus and all of these school closures across the globe. Now, before we start on today's topic, I want to give you a little background information on the podcast for our new listeners. The Chef Educator Podcast was created to be a comprehensive resource for both new and seasoned culinary, baking and pastry, and hospitality teachers, instructors, and faculty at both secondary and post-secondary educational institutions. Our hope is to offer a collection of practical and effective teaching tools, tips, and techniques that we can all use in our classrooms and or labs. And if this is of interest, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Okay, with that said, let's jump right into today's topic on instructional continuity. You know, when classroom instruction is interrupted due to emergencies, we as faculty need to use alternative methods and tools to continue our classes and activities at a distance. Now, how we do this may vary depending on the subject and teaching methods we use, you know, with certain courses having more specific challenges than others, like lab classes. Boy, those are going to be hard to do remotely. However, with academic classes, the basics are often the same, such as, you know, student communication, content delivery, and course assessment. And the first thing I always recommend is to think about what teaching practices or, you know, pedagogy you want to leverage. You know, really, that's the priority. And often people, you know, they make mistake of, you know, looking at online learning from the perspective of what's available in terms of technology, like what videos can I use, what apps, what software. And then they try to figure out how to use that, you know, as a teacher. Well, that's not how it should be done. You know, it's more important to look at how do we want to teach and what's out there to help you do that. You know, what is the way we want to teach and then what is the tool that'll help us carry that through. So in other words, Consider the best mechanisms for your class that will transmit content and promote student engagement in the digital environment. What I find the easiest combination that causes the least amount of disruption is usually to just use your school's learning management platform, a learning management system like Blackboard, because that is what the students are already used to. They already use that in their face-to-face classes, maybe just to check grades or, you know, maybe to get some uh, materials that you may post there. So they're already familiar with that, you know, that environment. But if you don't have anything like that, then use some kind of, you know, usually a video conferencing platform, you know, and you tie that in with some way to do documents and for them to upload stuff like Google Suites. And then use those two in combination to run your course because those applications are so easy to use. So if you don't have a learning platform, use something like that. Now for the video conferencing, in some ways, it doesn't matter which one you use. You know, it's a matter of finding you know, the one that has the features that you want. 
You know, I personally use Blackboard Collaborate because it's in our platform. It's already part of our system. But if you don't have that, others like Zoom or Skype, they all work great as well. So, you know, find one that works for you. And in a time like this, you know, people are going to be scrambling. And there's a, you know, a real steep learning curve. You know, we didn't have time to prepare as much. So, you know, in this short term, I think one important piece of advice is to prioritize what's the most important in terms of instruction and keeping what's, how are you going to keep that connection with your students? What's the best tool for that? Those are really the important things. You know, we're not really having an online class here. We didn't have time to prepare it. And it's kind of different. You know, we're just trying to keep the coursework going. So, you know, everyone's going to be operating on a limited amount of time. So you need to figure out what are the most important things to cover for you and your class and your students. You know, the other important advice in these early stages is to be mindful of your students and what they're going through. You know, they're all probably going to be nervous. You know, they're going to be, you know, frustrated. They're going to be, you know, worrisome. You know, if kids you know, are all having to stay home suddenly, you know, maybe in the college, they can't stay on the dorms, or even if they are in the dorms, they're all by themselves, they're not going to go to class. You know, there's, we got to figure there's probably a, you know, a little bit of fear setting in, you know, there's some nervousness. So whatever bit of normalcy we as teachers can inject into these, you know, either live online settings or remotely or through this, you know, our platforms is very important. We want to keep that going. Keep the students calm and focused on the learning. So think about an engaging or interactive routine that you always do with your class that then you can bring into this new setting. You know, something you always do. Maybe the way you start your class with an activity or, you know, something you, you maybe start with a little video or joke of the day. Try to take those and carry them into this new learning environment. So there's some normalcy there. So think about uh, what, what you're going to do in the class. You know, the point is we want to help students to see that we are still a class. You know, it's nothing's really changed except the delivery. Yes, you know, we all may be in different spaces, but there's still some familiarity into what we are doing. You know, they may be at home now. They may be in their dorms. You know, we're not coming together, but we're still a class. And then as we move forward, we can start thinking about how do we leverage those live or recorded online times that we have together? And what are some, you know, meaningful, creative ways that we can create work for our students to do when we're not in front of the camera, you know, because a lot of the work that they're going to be doing now is going to be independent. They don't have that, that hour or two hours in our classes to do those activities. Now they're going to have to do those most likely on their own. So we got to kind of figure that out. Now, one of the first things I did this weekend was to create a welcome message in video format, something I recommend all of you do as well. You know, my message was designed to calm my students' fears and to let them know that I am committed to their continued success. You know, a lot of them I didn't get to see before we made, my university made this transition to going online. So last time I saw them, we were expecting to meet in another couple of days. So this is their first time hearing about it. So I want to, you know, downplay those fears, right? I want to know that everything's going to be the same. It's going to be okay. I've got your back. I'm still here with you. So in this video, I shared how I intend to support them in the course while at the same time giving them directions and resources that they will need to start this first week of transition to this online remote instruction. Now, since some of the students may have little experience with online courses, I also provided some suggestions on how to be successful in this new format. 
such as, you know, they should create a personal plan that includes, you know, a weekly schedule where they're going to work. You know, they may be at home now. Are they going to do it in the kitchen? They're going to do it in the downtown at the library. Are they going to do it in their bedrooms? When are they going to work? You know, if you're not meeting synchronously, you know, maybe they've got different times to do that. When are they going to do that? So they should start thinking about setting up a schedule when they're going to um, meet uh, the, the requirements of all these different classes. And also the tools and technology that they're going to need. So it's going to be a little bit different for them. I also describe the weekly patterns that they should follow to be successful in my course. For example, with one of them, I told them Mondays they're going to receive their first weekly announcement of the week along with a recorded, you know, micro lecture. It's basically, you know, I'm talking over the PowerPoint slides, you know, I'm injecting in some narrative. And each Wednesday they should participate in the online discussion board that I've set up uh, to where they can talk about the case studies that I've assigned. And every Sunday at 11.59, that's the deadline for that week's chapter quiz to be taken or it's going to be due. So instead of it having a, a, an assessment in class, now it's going to be done online. And they have every Sunday is the closing time for that. I also shared how I set up the course as well because online students can become confused and frustrated or even disengaged if they find it challenging to simply navigate the course. You know, we don't want that to get in the way. We don't want that to be a hurdle for them. So try to make your course organization as clear and intuitive as possible, ensuring students have more time and cognitive resources to engage with the course content and the activities that you've set up. We don't want them spending all their time and their energy navigating a course and trying to figure it out. So let's make it real easy for them. Now, no, most learning management systems have a student view, which you can click on. And something I find very helpful because it gets me to see the course from their perspective. You know, what things do I have closed? What do I have open? So I use the student view to see it from their point of view. And I can navigate through it and see where those, you know, rough spots or those hurdles may be for them. And... Um, so this first video, I did this by recording this informal video of myself that I uploaded to our learning management platform. And in this video, again, I reassured them a couple of different times that I am here to help them and that they shouldn't hesitate to reach out and contact me if needed. You know, this video that you're going to do, I suggest, doesn't have to be anything formal. And in many ways, it shouldn't. Just be you. Use your smartphone or your computer webcam, get into a relatively quiet place with some good lighting and make a personal video and then post it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't get stuck on, you know, making it um, what you think it needs to be made. Just be you. And then uh, they'll appreciate that and they'll see that it's still continuing and that you're okay and you give them some reassurance and they'll be fine. Okay, at this halfway point in the show, I want to take a quick pause right here to recognize our sponsor, The Colony Hotel, whose generous support is what allows this show to be made and shared with all of you. With their locations in Delray Beach, Florida, and Kennebunkport, Maine, please consider their gorgeous resort properties for your next vacation or event. And to find out more information, please go to their website, which is www dot the colony hotel c-o-l-o-n-y hotel.com and I'll also place a link down in the show notes of this podcast so you can find that and check out their properties okay so now going back to what i was just speaking about communication is key communicate regularly with your students that is going to be the key because they don't have access to you you know, I plan to do it, it two to three times per week using the announcement tool in our learning management platform. 
These announcements will be used to guide learning and their expectations. Similar to the way I would do it at the beginning and the end of each face-to-face -face session. You know, I might start out the class with an announcement and at the end, you know, telling them about assignments. Well, now I'm just going to do that through the learning management system. You could do it through email, whatever way you want to contact your students. You know, some examples are, you know, I'm going to do introductions of new topics. You know, every week, this is what we're going to be studying. Uh, I may do some reflections on overall class performance for the past week. Hey, y'all did pretty well. You know, on that last assignment, I enjoyed reading your, your papers. Or maybe, you know, their, maybe their test. All right, the test wasn't as good as we wanted, so I want to do a refresher on that before the midterm. You know, so there'll be announcements like that. You know, that, that being part of the class, you know, being, being there, that, that sense of you, you there in the class and that you're watching what they're doing and that there's some kind of community during this, you know, troubling time. Um, at very least, you should use it to provide your students with an overview of what they can expect that coming week. So you want to use some announcements. You want to keep that communication going with them. And to ensure your students continue being engaged with the course, use the live or recorded time that you spend on the video with them to make sure that they have a sense of what's expected when they are working on their own. You know, lay that out on them. Let them know what they need to be doing. Say, okay, you need to do this, 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 and this. You also um, you need to make sure that the independent work is something the students have some level of you know, familiarity with so that they're doing it, you know, what they're doing is working on practice, you know, practicing what you want them to do. Basically, we're talking you know, good homework strategy here, which means not giving new learning for homework. You do the learning. They have the reading. You explain it in your lecture, and then they're just you know, practicing. Remember, repetition is the key to learning. They're doing something they've already familiar with. You don't want them to be out there on their own and have to learn something new. They'll get frustrated. You don't know where they're going to get stuck on this stuff. You know, that's a big piece of it. Another strategy is to think of other creative ways that you can mix up the kinds of work your students are doing for the class. So it's not, not all just paper and paper. I mean, paper and pencil type things, you know, those type of written assignments. They're fine, but mix it up. You know, maybe have them do, um, you know, a video or they could do a little slideshow. Or they could upload some pictures or, you know, something using those Google apps. You know, this could be a good way for them to synthesize their learning, maybe in a new medium. You know, take advantage now that we're using this, you know, technology and ways that you can mix it up so they can get different experiences. You also must provide your students with some guidelines for working in an online learning environment. You know, start by thinking about what a week looks like, you know, what a day looks like in this class. What's happening live versus asynchronously? What's the schedule? What technology is being used and when? These are the things you need to be thinking about, in effect, putting the pieces of the puzzle in place. This is why I always say less is more. The fewer platforms you're using, the less confusion there is. So stick with one thing and you know, make that plan. And once you know what you're going to do, you need to create a concrete way for your students to be able to reference that plan and those procedures. And it could be in Google Docs, could be in a short video, but some way that you're laying it out, making it very clear so that they know what they need to do. The point is not, not just to explain it though, but Here's, here's what we're going to do at this time. You know, here's where you're going to log on here. Here's where you're going to open up this folder. Here's what you're going to do here. You know, lay it out. Give them some of those, those guides. You know, having a good shareable plan makes it easier for everyone to be on the same page. You're also going to have to decide how you want to handle assignment deadlines. And then you, once you do that, you need to communicate that to the students. 
you know, what works for me, again, I want to keep it simple, is that I just make all uh, work each week due before 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays of that week. So maybe in, in a face-to-face class, they had something, I've had a Tuesday, Thursday class, sometimes Tuesday they handed in stuff, sometimes Thursday, sometimes they put it up, on, uploaded it. I just make all the assignments that week, 11.59 Sundays, okay? I tell my students that it's my, you know, that's what they have to do, and it really makes it easier for, for them to remember. They know that's the end of the week, and that's when everything's going to be due, because there'll be, you know, things going on. You know, students seem to like that consistency. And again, it's easy to remember. I also tell my students that it's my personal policy to, to respond to all student questions within 24 hours during the normal academic week. So I let them know that, yeah, it's not going to be instant if you write to me, but it also won't be days. And if there's two days, then you should resend it because it got stuck in my spam or I didn't get it because within 24 hours, that's my policy during a normal academic week. I promise, you know, to get that, get back to them. I also promise to grade all assignments and post the grades with feedback for those assignments within seven days of the due date. And that's just something I do. You have to pick that, but students are going to want to know. You don't want them thinking at home, did they get it? Uh, did they not grade it? Did they not like it? You know, tell them when that will be graded and when feedback will be provided. Regarding feedback, I always try to provide feedback that is constructive and specific. And also it has some substance to it. You know, especially since I no longer get to meet face to face, you know, with my students anymore. So I want them to be clear on, you know, what, what it is I, I thought about their assignment, their homework, and, you know, give them some feedback, what they could do going forward. So I take a lot more time now that the course is online than I would maybe in face to face. And for those students who are not consistently engaged and present in the course, or maybe they're at risk of failing, I reach out and contact them individually to offer support first off, and then to try and determine their intentions or what's going on in their life, what's happening, something I can help with, you know, they're going to continue with the class, they're thinking of dropping. You know, our campus does have a system in place where faculty can raise an academic concern flag for any student we see who's falling behind and completing assignments, or maybe they have a low or a failing grade. And this, these flags request action, you know, from the students, academic counselors and, and or their faculty advisors. So we can get more people involved in that. So I use that a lot because I don't get to see him in class and, you know, talk to him one-on-one. You know, now we kind of got that little bit of distance between us with this online. So I have to make sure I'm following that up with emails and texts or whatever way we've set up communication. Now, with all that said, I just want you to know right up front, problems are going to happen. Problems are going to come up. So just, just embrace that right now, right? You're going to have maybe connectivity issues. You're going to have microphone problems, difficulties locating, you know, features in there. Students are going to have problems. It's going to happen. So just embrace it right now and expect it and just, you know, do it with a glass is half full. You know, luckily most schools have some IT folks on board and you may want to find out what the procedure is for when those problems do arise. So you can at least be proactive with it, but you may also want to identify what you want your students to do when tech issues come up, you know, tell them, listen, if you had a problem, don't worry about it. And you know, you're not going to get a zero. We'll, we'll work it out. Just contact me, you know, tell the students, relieve their, their fears as well. 
You know, for say if a tech issue comes up that a student's internet goes down, then the students will know what to do from your directions. You know, maybe I just tell them if it goes down, just keep doing, keep working on the problem, keep working on the assignments, and to let me know, text me, send me some other message that it's not working, and then we'll try to figure out another way that they can get that information to me. You know, later on, you know, I'm not worried about them getting stuck on these, you know, details. They're going to happen. I just want them to keep working towards the course. You know, we can't predict everything, but the nice thing. When, we, when you do this sort of contingency planning is that you predict most of these things. You know, you know what you're going to tell them to do. And then if something out of the ordinary does happen, you have the brain space to address it because you don't have 20 emails from people saying, hey, my internet's down. I can't find the folder. Where do I put this? What does that do? You know, you've already taken care of a lot of it. You've put out those instructions. You've put out, you know, discussion boards for that. So you're prepared for, you know, 90% of it. And, you're, and then the rest of it is, you know, is a little bit easier for us to, to handle. Now, the big question is often, what do we do about the assessment piece? What about tests? What about quizzes? How are we going to do that? Well, we need to recognize that we're not going to have the same sort of control we're accustomed to because it's done on their own. You know, we can't necessarily see what the students are doing. They're not taking those tests, those assessments right in front of us anymore. So, you know, there's some software programs that students can log in to take tests and some of the papers I use, turnitin.com and stuff like that. But there's really no way to verify that they don't have someone else doing it for them or even looking at course materials. So in my opinion, you know, my stance is that at times like this, you know, this is like an emergency. This is unplanned for. The most important thing for us to focus on is the continuation of actual teaching and learning. Assessment is part of the process, yes. And in terms of, you know, it helps us find out what kids are learning. But we need to look at it through that formative lens. And we need to have a level of trust in our students that they're going to do the work on their own, and that they're going to show us their own work, and that they're going to understand what they learned. You know, we just have to kind of go with that positive. You know, it's that feedback that's important. You know, the alternative is the accountability lens where we focus on whether a kid is cheating. But you can't do that, especially now. This is, this is an emergency. I think we need to suspend that view of assessment in the present context. You know, they're, that's, they're not the place for that right now. Let's just get the teaching going. Let's just get learning. Let's just get through this, okay? This is a, a time for all of us as teachers, instructors, and faculty to work together, you know, and try to just, just get through this, you know, as a, as a community. So I suggest you try and find communities of educators and spaces where you can collaborate, you know, where you can share resources and share ideas. There's tons of stuff on the internet right now. Everybody's coming together on this. So find someone that's of your subject, you know, find learning materials, videos, articles out there that you can use in your classrooms. You can share with others who may find it helpful in their classes, you know, use them. I have a ton of stuff on my YouTube channel. You can go on there, Dr. Professor Chef, Wicked Easy Cooking. I have knife cuts. I have recipe costing. There's lots of other resources out there. Get those. Have the students watch them. Have them write a little paper. Have them do a debate. You know, use what's available. This is, you know, this is, we just have to do what we can do at this point. And also, please practice self-forgiveness. You know, don't make yourself crazy. You're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to go the right way. You're going to try to do something that you think will be fun and interactive and your students are going to get confused. They're going to write to you and say, oh, I put all that time into it. Well, that's what happens. This is you know, uncharted territory here. There's going to be a level of frustration. 
But as long as the choices we as teachers, as faculty are making, are what we think is what's in the best interest of our students and their learning in this time of crisis, then we're making the right decisions. Even if it doesn't work out perfectly, do your best and forgive yourself. We're all learning and we're all going to get better. We're all going to do this and we'll make it through. So another thing, to get more information on topics like this for the chef educator, as I mentioned, there's lots out there, but it's also my book. I have a book titled Culinary Educators Teaching Tools and Tips, published by Kendall Hunt. I wrote this comprehensive reference resource with my co-authors, specifically for both new and veteran culinary and hospitality educators. It's really written in an easy-to-understand format. It has numerous charts, templates, and examples throughout. It talks about how to have discussions, how to, you know, do a um, uh, assessment, all of that. It's also available in hard copies as well as electronics. You can get it instantly and look through that. Again, the book's title is Culinary Educators Teaching Tools and Tips. It can be purchased on Amazon or through the publisher's website at www.kendallhunt.com, K-E-N-D-A-L-L, Hunt. I'll also put a link in the show notes in the description in case you're interested in that. But as I mentioned, on the internet right now, there's tons of material there. But don't get bogged down in that. Main thing is get started. Be there for your students. Reach out to them and just, you know, get started. Get going on it. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of The Chef Educator. Until we meet again, keep learning, keep teaching, and keep cooking. Thanks for listening. See you next show. Bye-bye. And best to you all.